Happy Easter, Church Central West. It's a great pleasure to be doing the Easter talk for you this morning. And I come uh, with huge greetings, high fives, fist bumps, hugs from all your friends at Church Central South. Now, if you're just clocking in today and you're new to Church Central West, obviously also greetings, hugs, high fives, fist bumps to you too. But you might need a bit of an introduction. Uh, my name's Johnny and I've been asked to do the talk for today. And uh, whether this is your 500th Easter at church or your very first one, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you know what? I'm really looking forward to spending 20 minutes talking to you about what I think is the most important day in the whole history of the entire world. So let's kick things off by talking about some cool science stuff. <laughs> I mean, where else would you start? Now, about 70 years ago, and it, a professor did an experiment where he uh, made these upside down glasses. And he got this test subject and the guy had to wear these upside down glasses. So they made you see things upside down. Uh, he made, them wear, made him wear them for an extended period of time. Now, as you might imagine, to begin with, this caused all sorts of problems. And this test subject, he couldn't really function at all. He was totally confused, couldn't do loads of the things uh, that he wanted to do. But the funny thing was that within a week, things had totally changed and he began to act pretty much as he had done before. He could ride a bike, he could pour a cup of tea, he could walk in a straight line. But it wasn't just that he got used to uh, doing things with the world upside down. When you asked him about it, he said, no, no, the thing is, the world flipped over again and changed back to the way it was before in my mind. And what had happened was that his brain had worked out what was going on and had flipped the upside down image he was seeing in his glasses the right way up. And when they took the glasses off, guess what happened? Yep, you guessed it. Although now he was seeing the world the normal way up. He now saw it as upside down until, of course, a little while later, his brain flipped it all around again. So far, so uneastery, you may say. But before we move on to the actual link with today's talk, I just want to know you can test this out at home. OK, now, if you're um, if you're watching from a phone, this is super easy. You can just flip it over. But what I want you to do is I want you to look at this image upside down. So you might have to put your head upside down for this. OK, have you got it? If I am now upside down, you've got it. If I'm not, you haven't got it. So I'm going to assume you've got it, you know. So uh, if you've got it, hold it there. And basically, if you do this for long enough, your brain will actually flip the image around and convince you that what's upside down is actually the right way up. And the right way up is actually upside down. See? How amazing is that? Wow, the wonders of the human brain. So what's this got to do with Easter, you may ask? Well, to understand Easter Sunday, I think you need to understand that this was the day when the world turned upside down. Some of you may have never seen this before. Well, today I'd like to explain to you uh, why I think this is. And even today, you could have your world turned upside down. But for others, you might have seen this before. It might have been a very, very long time ago. And uh, you knew what it was for Jesus to change everything for you. But as time's gone on, you've, you've sort of got used to the world, but actually flipped things back in your mind and convinced yourself that the world is just as it's always been. It's just like the guy with glasses convinced himself that the upside down world was actually the right way up. You might have done the same. Well, what I want to do today is to whip off your glasses again um, so that you can see again the revolutionary 
earth-shattering, mind-bending, reality-flipping effect of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. Now, I'm going to show you this from a passage in the Bible, and it's in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and the words will appear on the screen. But before we go there, I need to set the scene, because we pick up the story when a lot has just gone on beforehand. Three years before what I'm about to read, Jesus had appeared on the scene. And this feeling arose that perhaps, just perhaps, this guy might be the promised Messiah, the chosen one. He might be uh, another prophet like the great Moses from years before. He might be another king like their great leader David. But actually, he might be even better than those two national heroes. He'd be one who would decisively rescue God's people uh, in the world they lived in. But the religious establishment... And the political establishment didn't really like this. And they decided they had enough. Uh, all this talk of new Moseses and new kings was in danger of upsetting the way they like things to be. So they decided to put it all to an end. And they did it in the way that the Roman Empire usually did such things uh, with a crushing display of force. They took this Jesus. They paraded him naked and beaten through the streets of Jerusalem. And then they hung him up on a cross so that everyone could see the life being drained and squeezed out of his body. And they would understand, I guess, the idea was that there was to be no new Moses and there was to be no new King David. And this is what happened if anyone dared to oppose the existing order of stuff. And it seemed to work. The crowds fled. The disciples scattered. And by that first Easter Saturday, uh, the Jesus movement was completely done. It was just another minor blip in history. It was another troublemaker snuffed out. It was another false hope for those who were desperate for change. And then we pick up today's passage. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The gods shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. I, see, I think we see four major turnarounds in this passage that help us to understand something of the revolution that happened on that day. The first thing that was turned upside down was that darkness became light. Notice when the passage we read starts. It says early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. For Jewish people, Sunday morning was the first morning of the week. It was a bit like our Monday morning. It was the day after the Sabbath. So by highlighting this, Matthew is clearly emphasising, look, something new is happening here. But it's the new day dawning that I think is most significant, because this speaks to something much more than just a change of week or even a change of season. He's saying that this story is about when darkness turns to light. Darkness and light and night and day are very important symbols uh, in the Bible. 
in the beginning, there was darkness. Then God said, let there be light. Now, that's how the Bible presents the beginning of all creation. Darkness spoke of chaos and disorder and confusion. But when light came, God started his creative work, bringing order and meaning and purpose to everything. And when the Messiah was promised by prophets hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, they used exactly the same imagery. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, one of the Old Testament prophets, he wrote this. He said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And Jesus himself was very happy to put himself into this picture. He called himself the light of the world. But in the events leading up to his death, it very much looked like that light had been put out. As Jesus hung there on the cross, the life draining out of him from about midday to three in the afternoon. But Matthew, Mark and Luke, all writing different accounts of Jesus's uh, life, they point out the strangest thing. They say that although it's middle of the afternoon, darkness covered the land. Now, part of what is going on here is obviously that the writers are simply noting what happened. When Jesus died, it went dark. I mean, they're, they're obviously saying that. But that fact is underlined for a reason. The writers are telling us that this was a time of darkness. This was a time where disorder and chaos and even evil reigned. It was a bit like the world is uncreating itself as Jesus dies on that cross. But then as the women come to the tomb to pay their respects for what they thought would be the last time, Matthew gives us a clue right away at the beginning of our account that something's changed. The new day was dawning. The darkness was being turned into light. We've been living in a year of, uh, of chaos, haven't we? It's a year of disorder, a year where it's been very difficult to make sense of anything. And it's such a year, it's very easy for us to just get used to all of this confusion and suffering and begin to see the world as this way up. It's just that at the top, we've got darkness. Darkness reigns. And it suddenly seemed like that uh, before Jesus rose again, too. However, when he rose from the dead, everything flipped on its head. Darkness gave way to light. The world was turned upside down. As we continue in the passage, I think we see why this is the case. It's because the second turnaround is that death became life. The women are going to a tomb, aren't they? And as we know, just the same as today, uh, in those days, a tomb is a place of death. But they don't find death there. The tomb is empty, but that's not even it either. The dead man is actually alive. I mean, there's all sorts of other crazy details going on. You've got angels, you've got a big stone being rolled away like tumbleweed, you've got earthquakes. But the main event surely is that Jesus is not just not in the tomb, he's alive, he's risen from the dead. And while Jesus' resurrection was obviously kind of completely unique, you know, the Bible is actually clear that it wasn't just a one-off. Jesus had this victory over death, but he didn't, didn't want to just keep it for himself. He wanted to share it with others. There's this image that some of the Bible writers use to describe what happened here. And the image is that uh, dying is a, being, is a bit like being sent to prison. And death is a prison where everyone who dies goes, never to escape again. And Jesus, as he died, was sent to this prison. Uh, but he did something no one had ever done before. Uh, he performed a prison break. He, he broke out of prison. But even that wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't just that he made a quick getaway. No, 
the, the way it's pictured in the New Testament is like he he as he's on his way out, he he steals the keys, the master keys of the prison. And so not only did he get out of death and live again. No, for anyone who follows him, he promises them that, that he will unlock them from that prison as well when they die. It's easy to, to for our instincts to tell us that death is the winner at the moment. Death's everywhere. Death casts the deciding vote. Death has the ultimate power. Death is on top. And that would be true if it wasn't for Easter Sunday. Because on Easter Sunday, Jesus turned it all around. He stole the keys to death and hell and he went through death. He came out the other side and now he offers that same possibility to his followers. It doesn't mean we won't die. No, it doesn't also sadly mean that our deaths won't hurt us or those uh, who we love either. But it does mean that one day as Jesus rose, uh, we too can rise to life unending. Death's been turned to life. Despair is now the temporary state and joy is the enduring reality. The world is no longer a world of false hopes where death shatters all our illusions. No, because of what Jesus did, death, you see, now is the illusion and hope is now the real thing. And life will have the final say if we follow the one who broke out of death and he came back to life. That's amazing. Uh, I hope you think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Uh, but we should notice there's, a, there's another reversal here that I want to bring to our attention before we kind of talk about how this affects us. Um, and that's the reversal of power. That the, In this story, the powerless take power. And it's a bit harder to spot, so I'll explain to you. I think I've mentioned already how uh, the crucifixion uh, was a power play by the religious establishment uh, and the Roman Empire. And what they were doing was they were they were crushing this upstart uh, who dared, had the, had the audacity to challenge their authority. And as if the method of execution wasn't enough, they really rubbed it in with this stone that's over the tomb. Because on the stone, it wasn't just a massive stone. It had a seal on it and it would have been an imperial seal. Now, I don't know if you ever get this with a, maybe it's a, a bottle of drink and it says on top of it, if, if the seal is broken, do not consume. This has been opened, essentially, is what it's saying. Well, the seal on the tomb would have been a bit like that. It would have been saying, not do not consume. It would be saying, if this seal is broken, we're going to get you. We know you've been in the tomb. We're after you and we're going to do to you what we did to the guy we put in the tomb. You see, the stone was yet another sign of the empire's power. Shouted to everyone loud and clear, we're on top around here. Got it? But when the women arrive at the tomb, <laughs> uh, once again, I think you can see a theme developing here. Everything has turned upside down. Yet the stone has been removed. It's been pushed to one side. But look at this detail. I love this detail. There's an angel there. Yep, big deal as well. But where is the angel? The angel is sat on top of the stone it's he's so casual just chilling out on top of this stone but it's a it's a sign of just well the order has changed somewhat there's a different person on top here and here where are the ancients of uh imperial power then if you've got the angels sat on the this top of the stone where are the roman guards you know the representatives of the emperor <laughs> well they're not just cowering in a corner somewhere that would be bad enough no they've passed out completely it says they were in a dead faint it's basically saying now they're the ones who are like they're dead everything's flipped over the seal of roman power is broken and the representatives of that power are pretty much dead so who's on top now 
<laughs> well, obviously, if we answer that question, and that's not a rhetorical question, um, Jesus and the angels seem to be holding most of the aces in the story story we read. But the other character who's highlighted here uh, completes this totally upside down picture and maybe slots us in uh, too. There are two women mentioned here. And the one who is in the lead is a lady called Mary Magdalene. Now, when it came to power and social standing, Mary Magdalene was pretty much bottom of the pile. Now, firstly, most obviously, she was a woman. And in that culture, women really didn't have much say at all. So that wasn't going for her. But more than that, Mary Magdalene had a pretty colourful history. Uh, She had been years before she'd been a prostitute and had been a very, very troubled lady. But then years ago, she had met Jesus. And again, as we've been talking about today, he turned her whole life upside down. And now that troubled lady is the one who's chosen to tell everyone that now it's not just her life, but it's the whole world that has been turned upside down. She's the one who's sent to announce darkness has become light. Death has become life. The powerful have become weak and the powerless are being honoured. Now, you may be listening And you might not be someone who seems to have much going for you in many ways. You might not have got great grades at school. You might have a past that you think disqualified yourself. You might not drive the nicest car or have uh, the most followers on Instagram or have the nicest house. But listen, Jesus came for you just as much as anyone else. I think if you read the Bible, you probably come to the conclusion that he came for you more than anyone else. Jesus' mum actually sung a song at the beginning, before he was even born. And one line in that song uh, said this. She said, God has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted, exalted means lifted up, uh, and exalted the humble. If you're humble enough to admit that you need your life changed and you can't do it yourself, you can know this turnaround for yourself if you come to this Jesus. Because on that day, he showed that human power and status and glamour and glitz and fame, all of those things, they mean nothing. God's got a different agenda. He's about lifting up the humble. So how does this affect us? What does this mean actually for our lives? Well, there's one more turnaround in the story that I think points us towards an answer to that question. And I just want to close with it. The final turnaround, the final reversal is that fear became peace. There's all sorts of fear in this story. But what's the catchphrase? that both Jesus and the angel use in the passage. I wonder if you spotted it. What they say is this, don't be afraid. At the end of Luke's gospel, uh, we see the account of what happens when Jesus meets the disciples, the Peter and John and all those guys. And he says the same thing, but he puts it slightly differently. As he, as he comes to see them, he introduces himself with these words, peace be with you. Now, I recognise that often change can be really scary and and troubling to us. And uh, particularly now, the last thing you might want is for the world to be turned upside down. I mean, hasn't it been turned upside down enough uh, by COVID? Um, Well, the events of the first Easter Sunday were, were immediately met by fear by people, maybe for a similar reason, even in Jesus' own followers. For everyone who decides to follow Jesus, there are huge changes asked of you. I don't want to keep that away from you. Changes to how you use your time, how you use your money, what you think is important, what things you start do that, doing that you've never done before, uh, things you stop doing that maybe have become part of how you even see yourself as being. And to consider changes like that can lead us to be really afraid. But I'd say surely, even though there is a 
kind of fear of change in that sort of sense. Surely deep down, we all know that while normal life is kind of familiar and to keep going with it is kind of easy and comfortable, don't we realise that normal life is kind of wrong? There's something wrong with it. Covid or no Covid, it often seems so dark. Death looms over our lives so menacingly. The systems of power seem to oppress. Well, if this life is all there is, uh, or maybe if there's a God, but he just keeps himself at arm's length, well, then we just need to get used to the darkness and the death and the oppression because that's just the way it is. We need to lump it. But the good news of Easter is that this life is not all there is. And God does not just want to stay at arm's length. Because on the first Easter Sunday, he turned the world upside down. And today he offers each of us a world where light beats darkness, life beats death, and the powerless get honoured. Whether you're hearing this for the first time or the 500th time, whether you're a Christian already or you're not a Christian, my encouragement would be to put your trust in this Jesus. Give your life to him, the one who was raised from the dead, uh, and live his upside down way of living.